From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Jacobs will be the running back down inside the five-yard line. Going to get a chance. Stance right. Jackpot, baby! Touchdown Raiders on their opening drive. A wake-up call for the Indianapolis Colts as the Raiders strike first. Here's Carr, takes a snap, sprints off to the right, fires on the run. Jackpot, baby! Touchdown Raiders, Hunter Renfro. Cole checks his kicker. Good hold. Yes, baby! Jackpot, baby! Well, the cardiac kids are struck again, huh? <laughs> they kept oh, it interesting. My, what a run. <laughs> what a run. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Four o'clock hour heading towards Monday Night Football with the Steelers and the Browns. Willie's here. It's Cofield. Ari's in our Finley Toyota studios. Uh, some breaking news items from the day before we get into the Big Five. Uh, first of all, if you have not heard, uh, Nate Hobbs uh, somehow got himself into trouble uh, after that victory yesterday, he was arrested over at the Cromwell, uh, suspected of DUI, still waiting for more information there. Apparently, was asleep at the wheel uh, in an exit ramp at the Cromwell. Schedule this weekend has changed for the Raiders. If you haven't heard, their Saturday games or Sunday games. The Saturday games now are Chiefs-Broncos, followed by the Cowboys and Eagles. Update on the Eagles side. Eagles put 12 players on the COVID list today. Eagles have already clinched the playoff spot. Mike McCarthy said he's going to play to win at Philly. Uh, He said that's the best thing for our football team. We understand the scenarios, and there are slight odds that we could potentially move up, but we want to make sure we take care of business on our end. So that'll be heavily debated, I'm sure, throughout the week, You know, especially with Dak Prescott. as uh, I'm not going to call him brittle, but obviously the guy's coming back after a major, major injury. He made it through the season for the most part outside of uh, you know having a, a dinged-up shoulder. So that one's real interesting. So some of the breaking news uh, going down. And what was the last point I had? Uh, what was it? Uh, was there another breaking news item today, Willie, that I'm skipping out on? I, I don't know. Was there? I think that. Oh, oh one more. Uh, for the Browns game tonight, Kareem Hunt is officially okay. inactive. Uh, for some reason, I'm, I'm losing my flow. I don't know why. Big five. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Four. Number five. It happens sometimes. Uh, sometimes. Las Vegas Bowl, Wisconsin winds up beating Arizona State at the uh, LV Bowl on Thursday night. I thought it was hilarious when people were pissing and moaning on social media about Paul Christ unable to cover the minus eight on the Wisconsin side. And the line was six and a half, seven uh, leading up to the game. So if you're betting eight, you're an idiot. Um, one of the things I did notice, Willie, decent game, and Wisconsin played Wisconsin football, ground the hell out of the thing with yeah. uh, the big running back, Allen, down the stretch and didn't let Arizona State in for a final chance to score a touchdown. Uh, what do you think of the crowd? Did you think it was a bit light? Um, 32,000? 32,000, which would have sold out Sam Boyd, which would have been which would have been expected considering Wisconsin was in it because Wisconsin travels well especially when they come to Las Vegas I know people are going to scratch their heads going well why not Arizona they're the border state because Wisconsin comes here when they went when, when, in the past when it's come here and they have ties here um I'm not sure if how surprised I was 
and I'm going to throw this out there. I, I know people don't like to hear this, but because there's so many arguments on both sides. But I do think that the existing pandemic and the recent surge could have had a lot to do with it. Um, I, w- I would like to know what the tourism numbers were like, like the, the hotel reservations and stuff like that. I wonder how many people came to town, sort of like the first weekend of college basketball, sort of like the Super Bowl, and maybe just took a trip out here, right, after Christmas, Christmas holiday, blah, 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 blah. And I mean, because it was, they were, they were, they were very reasonable uh, price seats. Yeah. There were, uh, there were, there were, it was not a bad seat in the joint. Um, I, I, I have to wonder if maybe someone say, hey, let's go to Vegas. And, but instead of sitting amidst a crowd in the stadium, that, that, that they, you know, I, I don't know. But I, I yeah, don't I saw, know. I saw I, Mark I Anderson. I saw Mark Anderson from the RJ tweet out something like that and get reaction. And there were several people who said they actually had tickets but decided not to go to the game. So there you go. Maybe that explains uh, what happened with the crowd. And obviously, next year, uh, there's a good chance at a massive crowd because uh, next year it'll switch up to uh is it sec and pac 12 or sec and big 10 i gotta look it up SEC but the SEC and pac 12 it's, it's always the pac 12 and then it's alternated big 10 sec number four wow uh, our legal insiders will chime in on this one later in the week but what a bizarro image at dan snyder's crappy stadium as the railing snaps you see a video from multiple angles inside the tunnel and walking to the tunnel Jalen Hurts, the Eagles quarterback, is walking towards the tunnel, and all of a sudden, about eight fans come down through the railing. Um, Luckily, all of them were okay. They quickly stood up, and Hurts was like, "Yeah, well, we can take some pictures here. But one, uh, there was a cameraman, like, underneath the railing, and it just happened to clear him. That guy could have been friggin' crushed. I mean, you're talking about a serious injury, and Hurts was about a step and a half from being crashed into. Can you imagine... And I'm sorry if I'm jumping to conclusions here. Can you imagine if Dan Snyder's lack of care for his own facility took a playoff quarterback out of the playoffs because fans were crashing down on his legs? Well, I, I get what you're saying, but let's just stop. Let's just let's just eliminate that because nothing happened to him. And let's just talk about the safety of the the his his fans, his patrons, people that paid money to be in there. As yep. you said, a cameraman that's underneath him. So so forget about Jalen Hurts because he's fine. So, no, I, I don't even want to look ahead or think ahead and go, can you imagine if? Because you know what? We don't know what kind of bumps and bruises those fans came. They all jumped up and Hurts gave him a big hug and everything. But someone could have gotten hurt. Someone may have gotten hurt. There were people that actually fell off of that. That stadium fell apart. So... It wasn't a matter of what could have happened to Jalen Hurts. It's what did happen to those fans that fell out of those stands. And I don't know. I'm not saying it's the same thing, but there has to be moments when something happens around Dan Snyder that the folks in the commission's office, the other owners are like, this is the guy we keep defending and covering up for, Dan Snyder. And then you see something like this. And again, it it, it could have been fluky. Um, It could be that he doesn't take care of the stadium, but that was a real messy look. Well, I I think we I think we already know what we're going to be asking. One of the questions we'll be asking Justin later this week. Number three, Justin Watkins, our legal insider, will be on on Wednesday. Uh, Shalice Young, who works for Yahoo, talking about Antonio Brown potentially being cut. By the way, folks, it's not officially done yet. They got to figure it out with the players' association. But it, it seemed pretty clear Bruce Arians wants him off the team, and in fact, 
Ian Rappaport, NFL Insider, said on the sideline he told him to get out. So that kind of complicates this whole thing. But Shalice Young, one of the columnists for Yahoo, said it says so much about the NFL that this got Antonio Brown cut. It wasn't alleged violence against women, assault on a moving truck worker, rape allegation, or a fake vax card. It was quitting on his team. That is the cardinal sin in the NFL. What do you think of that, Willie? Well, as the details come out, he did he quit on the team or was he told to leave the field? All he did was express that he was injured, and I take it back to if this was Tom Brady, if this was somebody else on the team, and they said, I'm injured, I can't go in, I'm this, I'm that, regardless of what the doctor said, is Bruce Arians telling him to leave? That's what I want to know. And, right. and so, so he was. If he was told to leave the field, I don't know. I mean, did he quit, or did he? Was he told to leave? He wasn't told to quit. The response then from the offensive coaches and from Bruce Arians was, "If you are not going to go into the game when we tell you to go into the game, then you cannot be here." At that point, they threw him off the sidelines and then cut him from the team. So Antonio Brown which Bruce Arians announced at the post-game press conference, he is no longer part of the team. They essentially told him that on the sideline, sent him packing, leading Antonio Brown with a million dollars incentive right within his reach. He was going to get it. Uh, he left all of that, left the field, and now is no longer a member of the Buccaneers. So on one hand, I and I want to defend Antonio Brown. I just can't do it because I don't believe uh, his side of the story because he's been not believable in the past. Uh, But on the flip side, I I do think Bruce Arians deserves a little bit of criticism here. And I also wonder if the guy who deserves the ultimate criticism, do we pat Tom Brady on the back for trying to be understanding in his comments after the game? Or do we look at Tom Brady and it's like, dude, this is your fault. You're the one who said, trust this guy. You'll manage it. And then AB goes AWOL in the middle of a game. So there's a, there's a lot of stories here and, um, I also, I'd like to get on Bruce Arians, but we need to know more about the story. Willie, you are muted, my friend. My bad. Listen, this is not on Tom Brady. This has nothing to do this. Yes, he said, hey, he's a good guy. I can control it. I can control the situation. But here's the problem. Okay. This is an in-game situation that erupted because the coach, because he expressed he was injured and the coaching staff told him to leave. Tom Brady did the right thing with his comments after the game. You know why? Because if he were to express anything else like this is disappointing, this is this, this is, then it causes a distraction by showing empathy and downplaying it a little bit and saying, hey, we have to. This is this is our brother. This is our teammate. This is this is the brotherhood, right? We've heard that word how many times all season with uh, with the Raiders. Tom Brady did the right thing. Has nothing. This has nothing to do with Tom Brady. I'm not putting this on him in any way, shape, or form. Number two, Carson Wentz was not real good yesterday, and he missed on a massive pass early in the fourth quarter. They're up 17-13. T.Y. Hilton is wide open on a third and eight. Somehow he overthrows him. Did Wentz, and I'll put it in quotes, the doctor that approved him in spite of having some symptoms, did those guys actually screw the Colts? 
can we make that case that Sam Ellinger could have been close to the performance of Wentz? Because Wentz was not good. Or did the Raiders play really good defense? You know, that's, I mean, the, that's the flip side of it, that the Raiders defense responded by holding down a guy in John Taylor who's barely, who's rarely been held down. That was the first time they've rushed for over, or John Taylor's run, rushed for over 100 yards where they lost the game. They were 9-0 and before this. So, yes, we ha- we absolutely have to give the Raiders defense credit for slowing down Carson Wentz. And on top of that, it's who was out there for the Raiders. Because that was an interesting group. There were not a lot of familiar names, Willie. A lot of guys were out. Makeshift defense. And it's credit to who? My guy, Gus Bradley. Okay? This is a defense has been resilient and has come up with um, – some big time performances at the right time. You know, we have discussed this and in times that we've seen the the defense falter is when the offense couldn't stay on the field long enough to give that unit rest. And I think both uh, units did a great job. All three units, they played cohesively across the board and yeah, Carson Wentz, you know, I I don't know if you blame it on being cleared sooner than, than he should have and what the, but, we talked about this earlier in the show. Denzel Perryman, he said he felt it. He said this is for real. He was down. He was two two days. He was had the shakes. Yeah. I've had it. I know what I felt like going on two years ago. Two. I'm two months shy from having COVID classic. Call it the COVID classic. That's my variant. The classic. Well, I know exactly what he was talking about. So the Raiders have to. And there's a defensive guy. He had to overcome it. Uh, I'm not putting it off on any of that. The, you know, uh, and, and, and it sounds hypocritical for me to say because I just got done saying Antonio Brown was dealing with an injury. But Antonio Brown expressed his feeling, his, you know, that he couldn't go and he couldn't play. Carson Wentz was ready to go. He said he was ready to go. He was in. He was, you know, their Colts wanted to. The Colts are, are running through the uh, AFC right now. I think they're seated sixth. So they have just as much to play for. I think Back bottom line. I was going to say, bottom line with Carson Wentz is he's not as good as Derek Carr. You know, we talk about Derek Carr being somewhere in that number nine and number 12 range. There's, you know, guys like Marcus Spears, I, I think, who would pitch that he's a, a top six or seven guy. Mm. Wentz is what he is. He's, I don't think he's all the way back uh, from where he was years and years and years ago. And he's a dude who's probably more in that, like, 15 to 20 range. And it showed yesterday. He just wasn't very good. Top story. Number one. Well, the most amazing thing about the Raiders' streak here. Uh, so many people left them for dead at six and seven, and they've actually played really sloppy football when it comes to take care of the ball. Taking care of the ball, they're the first team to win three straight games with a minus two turnover margin in all the games, or worse. That hasn't happened since freaking 1964. You don't win close games in the National Football League when you fumble and throw interceptions, and somehow the Raiders are doing it. Well, the somehow Willie is. That this defense, when the offense needs it the most, they freaking lock down after turnovers. That is a, again, I just said, that's a rare feat and a rare trait. And these minus two turnover margin games are worse. It hasn't happened in the NFL. Three straight wins since 1964. Kudos to the defense. Defense just keeps getting it done. I mean, it. you, you look at this. You look at the the complexion of this unit and how it has. I mean, look at the last three games during this three game win streak. The opponent 
has scored 14, 13, and 20 points. Passing, 147, 140, and 140. Rushing, 89, 18, and 122. I mean, just ridiculous numbers. And they're bailing them out. They're coming up with big sacks. They're coming up in third down, uh, you know, in disallowing third down conversion. Um, and it's taken enough time for Carr and that offense to do what it needs to do to stay on the field, to keep those that those defenders fresh. And you see when that team works as a one, one unit, cohesively across the board, how dominant that defense can be against an offense like the Colts that has put up some pretty decent numbers. Outside of the 48-9 loss in Kansas City, I mean... This defense has shown what it can do. They they went through their two and five stretch, which yes, they gave up forty one twice or forty one and forty eight to the Chiefs, and they gave up thirty two to the Bengals, thirty three to the Cowboys. But the offense put up thirty six. But for the most part, the, de- the this, that's been the story of this team is what's driving them successfully to success has been the stop unit, and it starts up front with the way that they're closing up that pocket. They're not allowing a lot of things off the edge. The secondary came in and proved it's dealt with how many injuries, how many issues, um, but it continues to lock things down. I mean, they've lost players, they've released players. So um, I anticipate an entirely different defensive look than we saw in the first meeting when we were broadcasting that Chargers Raiders game Monday night. Um, however many weeks ago. I don't think that the Chargers are going to be seeing the same defense. It's the Big Five at Four. Brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. 570-9000. Connor fakes around two nights, works in. Connor shoots, scores! Kyle Connor wins it. Accelerates around two nights in the neutral zone. Connor, all by himself, delivers a 5-4 Winnipeg victory. Now, back to Cofield and Company. I say it all the time, Willie, because I'm a uh, pain in the ass and a play-by-play junkie. You know at the end of a game, even if it's a loss, something happened there. That's a great call by Dan Duva. I just happened yesterday to be driving around listening to the Colts call of the Colts Raiders game, and I practically had no clue that they had scored a touchdown. The go-ahead touchdown because because the call was so yeah they were so depressed in Colts land that the Raiders scored the uh, the last touchdown so Dan Duva great job as always uh, on the play-by-play you know we were talking about the Las Vegas Bowl a little bit earlier on and uh, the post-game press conference was kind of interesting and this you know goes back to last week with the passing of John Madden if you notice this weekend I thought CBS and Fox did an awesome job of you know putting in lots of audio from John Madden lots of images I thought it was really cool both networks did a beautiful job of of honoring uh, John Madden, who passed away at 85 years old. And, Willie, you had a chance to to fire some questions at Herm Edwards of Arizona State, right? I did. They. Uh, I wanted to make sure. I actually went up to the SID for Arizona State, and I said, give me the very last question, please. Um, I want to be able to – the beat writers that were in town covering the game get on deadline to get their questions out of the way. And I basically just, you know, wanted his thoughts. We talked last week a little bit about the NFC East and how he always called the games with Pat Summerall. And 
I just wanted his thoughts overall, and I thought that he gave a, just a fantastic answer. Uh, knowing him and watching him coach uh, the Raiders and, and he playing for Philadelphia. Now, he wasn't a coach then. Flores became the guy, but uh, going to television, he did a lot of our games when I was uh, with Tampa Bay with, with Tony. And, uh, and um, you know, he was a guy that I, and I said this earlier this week, um, to a fan that maybe had never watched football, he made it simple. He simplified the game uh, with his uh, analogies of how he would made football like to a, to a person that never watched the game go, oh, they did that. There was always a, a catchphrase or two that he would bring to the game, right? And you knew it was a big game uh, when you coached or played and John Madden was doing the game, right? You say, like, oh, John Madden's doing our game, right? Yeah, of all guys to ask, it's a guy who played in the same era that uh, Madden coached and then certainly was around when Madden was doing his announcing. And Herm has you know, been in both realms. He's been a coach. He's been a coach in the NFL and in college football and an analyst on TV. Second part of his answer? He will be missed. I thought he brought a different perspective of how he talked about football on the air. It wasn't so much analytics. It wasn't so much X's and O's. It was real simple stuff, right? And um, players loved him. Because you knew that was the number one broadcast. When, when he was doing your games, John Madden does your game, big game. I mean, you know, and obviously, what can we say about the Madden game? I mean, I was excited that I've, I've actually got a, a picture of me in the, with the Eagles and I'm on a, on a Madden game, right? Uh, I have that. And uh, a great, great man, great human being, and, and, and meant a lot to pro football and has done a lot for pro football. And he'll be missed. There's no doubt about that. Did either one of you guys watch the All Madden documentary yet? I have not yet. You got to watch it. You got to watch it because uh, the the funny thing is, it's not funny, um, they lean heavily on one of the guys who was on Madden broadcast all the time, and that was Lawrence Taylor. And let me tell you, when you watch Lawrence Taylor, I don't want to use the term kooky, but he he is like all over the place. So I don't know what, you know is dabbling in whatever he's dabbling in over the years has done to his brain. But um, he made it clear, like he, he's not a real cooperative guy about doing media and doing documentaries. And for this one on the documentary, he's like, Oh, oh you know, I heard it was John Madden. I was going to do it. And uh, LT kind of buttresses the documentary. Cause he's very much in the beginning and very much at the end. And, you know, you forget. Um, and then it's, I mean, it, you know, it makes sense, but, when the NFC games came up, they were going to be in New York a lot. You know, Pat Summerall played for the Giants. The mm. Giants were good in the 80s for the most part. Um, and the Cowboys were on all the time. I think total broadcast was something like Madden did like 231 Cowboys games and something like 170 Giants games. So for folks like you're a, you're a Cowboys fan, so you, yeah. you saw Madden all the time. I'm a Giants hater, but I would still watch the games. So for people in those markets, like you got, you got Madden and Summerall and you know Madden and Al Michaels all the time. Yeah, and it's as as uh, Herm alluded to when you knew that they were when when players and Mark McMillan told us this. I never he, thought of that that angle that the players are like, oh, the Madden Cruisers here. This is a freaking big game. Yeah, and Matt uh, McMillan, Mark likened it to a Super Bowl. He said it felt like it, it was that big of a game. You got excited. And, and Herm, you know, reiterated that. I brought up that we had talked to, you know, McMillan. And um, 
it's it's um I think for a lot of people it 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 was it was part of it. I mean when when you and I were younger and Madden was coaching, I mean I think part of watching Monday night football was the entertainment you got from Dandy Don and Howard Cosell and Frank Gifford and waiting for Dandy Don to sing, you know, turn out the lights, the party's over. I mean, how it, when I was real young and and mom would say it's time for you to go to bed and it was Monday night football, I, I, it was, I was adamant that I had to watch halftime highlights with Howard Cosell. So, I mean, broadcasters have had as much of an impact back then, and I'm not sure now. I mean, I think that there's more disdain for broadcasters than there is love for broadcasters than we, when we were younger. But, I mean, you, you, you sort of thrived on who was calling the game when you were a big-time fan. We're 15 minutes away from uh, looking back on the betting weekend, also looking ahead, looking ahead to Georgia, Alabama, Maybe a little NBA as well with our buddy John Von Tobel. Stick around. Cofield and Company returns in minutes in the Finley Toyota Studios. Josh Jacobs como corredor detrás de Derek Carr. Le cede el ovoide. Viene la carrera de Jacobs que se mete a las diagonales. Touchdown Raiders. It's Cofield and Company. Nice timing, huh? Offensive line. Josh Jacobs coming to life. Deportes on the call there. Harry Ruiz. That was a big one. Touchdowns were hard to come by for the Raiders, but they get the job done. They've won three in a row. As we were pointing out at the start of the hour, kind of amazing that they keep winning these close games with the turnover issues. Um, the numbers on that, it, that whole thing is, is pretty incredible. The Raiders have given the Raiders defense has given up almost nothing after the offense turns it over. We're talking about two scores after the last six turnovers. I mean that's amazing. And they were like they were on the doorstep ready to kick an easy field goal or a touchdown. So you can't say enough about the way that the Raiders defense has responded and you know, I'll hand it to Willie. I have no idea what's gonna happen with the head coaching slot. I think there's a lot of momentum building for Rich Basaccia. If he gets them into the playoffs and they win a game, oh boy, they got a decision to make. But you know, Willie's been all over Gus Bradley, and I, I think you're leaning towards, hey, maybe Gus Bradley should be the head coach. He's he his job this year with a a defense that has improved personnel, but has also been dealing with a lot of issues, and the back end is almost completely decimated. Gus Bradley's done an amazing job. He has. I just don't know if you know. Leaving that that role to take over the entire team, um, what I've always said or been saying is that he should, if you if you if you're cleaning house, you're chopping from the top, that he should at least be given a chance to stay on with what he is doing because I think that he came in and provided a boost of energy during the training camp, during OTAs and during training camp. Um, I think you know. If you remember, I said, you know, John Gruden's always loud. You could hear him out there. But Gus Bradley came in in those first several weeks. You could hear Gus Bradley just as loud as you could have heard, you know, John Gruden. So I, I, I think that his role, he, he needs to be offered a chance to stay if they're going to remove the staff. Um, you know, the way that it's looking now, if they make the playoffs, you have to, I think, I think you have to at least give Rich Passaccia an interview. But 
I think the, the, the guy who deserves a lot of the credit for how this team has performed on the whole on both sides of the ball because it started it's it's really been the defense is is Gus Bradley for sure. Um, and then you have to look at Marinelli, a veteran D line coach who gets who, who the players talk about and praise all the time. Um, you know, I'm not sure which way you go with Tom Cable. The offensive line has come around. It's improved, but that was a patchwork, you know, line from from day one. So, um, so much, think- you know, you know, Willie. So much of this depends, also, and this goes all the way up to Mayock at GM. So much depends on who was making the decisions on personnel, because mm-hmm. you you do remember when they took Leatherwood, uh, it was thrown out there that hey, Cable loves him, you know. So I just I wonder in terms of splitting up the duties of personnel analysis who you know who handled that who didn't who had the final say and and you know we don't know we don't know that's and that's why the mayo question is so intriguing because in the middle of the draft well i was gonna was gonna tout nate hobbs as one of those guys but now that he's in some trouble maybe a lot of trouble uh but they've they've nailed some you know some pretty talented players over the years listen the first round pick thing is very distressing but i just wonder who the most influential people are in the organization from a a personnel standpoint and it's hard to you know, say, you know, should Bradley stay around? Should Cable stay around? Do they need to hire a coach who's going to be open to keeping Basaccia too? Are they going to clean the slate completely? Is it a totally new GM and they go in a completely different direction? I mean, we don't know because the other thing is, what if they make the playoffs? What if Derek Carr kicks ass the next two weeks? That also affects his future, I think. What if they make the playoffs, they get to a five seed, as Josh Dubow tweeted out, and they make a run. I mean, there's a lot of what-ifs. It's a matter of you have to take it for face value game by game and what this team has been able to accomplish. Um, you know, and, and I think it, it's going to come down to what Mark Davis is thinking. I don't know if Mike Mayak's job is secure. Um I don't know how much they're gonna. He's gonna look at that. What I do know is that if a change is made, Mark Davis is going to have to take a serious look at what he's done in the past and where he's going in the future. What he's done wrong in terms of allowing too much control with one guy who can stand on their own and work cohesively together in terms of a GM and a coach, not a coach who wants to come in and have complete control. Um, Who's going to control the draft situation? Um, who's going to have the final say? I think he has to weigh a lot of things that have taken place over the last three and a half years and, and put all that into consideration. I think if there's one thing that you can say about this entire organization with everything that's taken place is it's a it's a damn resilient organization. It's a damn resilient coaching staff. Steelers are one tonight against the Browns. We'll break that down, and we'll also look ahead to uh, next Sunday night football tilt as the Chargers are now three. There's a two and a half out there as they come to town to take on your Raiders. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with John Von Von Tobel. Getting ready for the Steelers and the Browns. We were just watching during the break a, a video from Antonio Brown, not talking about his uh, situation with the Bucks, but saying don't write off Big Ben after this year. He's a competitive guy. He may come back. I don't think he's coming back, and I think what it's going to set up, John, is a 
crazy, crazy environment at uh, Heinz Field. What do you think of this game? Because I know the number's been all over the place, and right now the Steelers are one over the Browns. Yeah, I think this is this is a great example of the week that we're about to get into, right, where you, you have a whole bunch of scenarios of teams that have things to play for taking on other teams that don't. And, and it's funny, the Browns were as high as a three-and-a-half-point favorite coming into the weekend, right, against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But the Browns get eliminated without playing a snap, and all of a sudden it's like, mm, nah, Steelers favorite. And Steelers got to as high as three. And it's to me, it's a very funny thing because you know me, Steve. You know I'm I'm very logically based. It's numbers, it's stats, it's matchups, all of these things. Because the Browns got eliminated, the market all of a sudden said, "No, it is more likely now that the Pittsburgh Steelers win this game as opposed to the Cleveland Browns." It's completely conjecture on what you think how the Browns are going to handle a matchup like this. So when it got to as high as three, you know, I th- to me that was a play on the Browns. The market has responded and such. The matchups are still there, and this is still a flawed defense on the Pittsburgh side. This is still a very limited offense with a poor offensive line on the other side too. So I just think you have to be careful as a better. Don't just look at a spot and say, oh, Team A's got to win, Team B's got nothing to play for. Clearly, Team A's the side. That's not always the case, and you're rarely getting value in those situations. That could include JVT two games next week where the lines are extremely big, and but you'd have to lay a price on the road, and you they just need to win. right? Playoff standings and seedings could care less about uh, point spreads, but you got the Colts at Jacksonville and you have a team like Tennessee which took over the number one spot and could lock it up laying ten and a half at the Texans um, you just want to get a win there so do you, you got to be careful with with games like that? Or, or these would you say that these are more games where they want to come out establish it and maybe the first half is a better play you know, I, I think really, so when it comes down to those are two some like unique examples, right? So, for example, with the Titans, I think, really that's a number that's actually in line with where it should be. Remember, they played each other, uh, at the, what was it, like six weeks ago now, whatever it was. The Titans went, went off as a 10-point favorite in that game. And so, as we've talked about before, if home field's not worth anything, even the change of venue means nothing. So, 10 should be right around where this team should be in terms of what they're laying for Tennessee. So, that number, to me, actually seems in line with where it was earlier in the year, where the power rating has been for both of these teams. So, it makes a little bit of sense but the, from the Colts perspective like I, I was scrambling to look for news like was Trevor Lawrence getting benched did half the offensive line get COVID like what happened here because yeah. You, yeah. You, you guys the look ahead line here was eight and a half and now we're up to 16 so again talking about like the worth of needing to win a game because the Colts have to win to get in all of a sudden they're eight points better than they were two days ago it just it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And so I think with those two situations, really, like for the Indianapolis Colts, to me, it's Jags or nothing. And keep in mind, too, with this little uh, neat little nugget, the Colts haven't won in Jacksonville since 2014. So, like, this isn't really a situation that has been beneficial for Indianapolis over the past, what now, eight seasons or so. So this is something where you're getting an over, really overinflated number with the Indianapolis Colts, a situation that has not been favorable for them whatsoever. It's just, to me, uh, on both of those, Titans' number makes sense. Colts' number in no way whatsoever doesn't make sense to me. John Von Tobel, VSIN. You can hear him every day at 1 o'clock uh, on VSIN, Monday through Friday, does a Sunday night show as well. All right. So is this the kind of week you just stay away from um, or, you know what, when you send over, we, we will trade ideas. So I could take this a couple different ways. You're saying week 18 is like preseason betting. Does that mean that it's actually easier because we have the inside dope? 
I don't I don't think it's easier per se, but I think it's it's like preseason betting, Steve, when it's just it's informationally based, right? And maybe even a better comparison is like bowl is like bowl betting, right? Because you know have we talked about that at the beginning of bowl season. Information's key. If you can get ahead of some of these line moves, right? If you can read the situation in terms of how teams are gonna handle some of these games, then you'll find yourself with some closing value. So like a really good point. So last night on the show that you talked about we're on the Sunday night show, Matt Humans and myself, the opening lines, you know, I talked about Carolina and Tampa Bay. Now, Bruce Arians has come out and said that they're looking to win that game, right? Going to play it like normal. I'm not sure if that's the entire game, whatever it is. But I said, look, this number is nine, nine and a half right now. You could just take nine and a half with Carolina, and this is going to come down. Because I don't believe, even if Arians is saying they want to win this game, there's nothing for the Bucs to play for. At the most, they increase themselves a seeding, but it looks like they are destined to play the Philadelphia Eagles unless some like really ridiculous things play out over the course of Week 18. So maybe you get a half from the guys for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But regardless, if you played nine, nine and a half on Sunday, now you're looking at the number that's eight and heading to seven and a half and a couple of other shops too. So you're just getting line value. So I think week 18 is like the preseason that it's just key for information. You know, today too, we've got a wacky line move for two reasons. One, Philly does have some COVID issues uh, that could be resolved too, by the way, with the new CDC guidelines that the NFL adopted. Uh, but the other part of this is, is Nick Sirianni comes out and says, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about not playing because we can't really do anything in terms of our seating. Market immediately reacts to something like that. So I, I think in the sense of that information being key, paying attention to what coaches are saying, that's how it mirrors preseason betting. That is fascinating because then McCarthy came out and said, we really can't move much, but I'm going to play my guys. Wait, you're going to play Dak Prescott in a game that is mostly meaningless. And on the flip side, does Sirianni still have the influence from upstairs? You know, last year, you remember Doug Peterson – bailing mm-hmm. on the final game of the Giants and you're sticking their beak into the Eagles business. So I, I have no idea who's going to play. I, I actually think the Cowboys should be thinking long and hard about putting Dak out to risk any sort of injury in what is essentially a meaningless game. Well, and, and think about it. For, there's a couple of things on this game too, right? So to your point, right, you don't want to risk anything because you have the playoffs ahead. You just lost Michael Gallup, by the way, right, to an ACL injury. Yep. So you're already thin as it is. But you could also look at it from the other perspective and say, well, Dak and the offense has been in the slump, and they have. Don't let the 56 points fool you against Washington. That was defense special teams. This offense has not been good for over a month now. But I think on the other end of this, guys, is you're talking about, let's say, Philly plays their backups, right? There's a real conversation that their backup quarterback's better than their starting quarterback in Jalen Hurts, right? Gardner Minshew can at least give you something different as a quarterback in terms of a passing attack. We saw that against your Jets, Steve, right, where he goes out there and puts together a pretty good performance for Philadelphia. So even if Philly plays the backups, are they really seven points worse than Dallas at this point, given how well they've played and how good their backup quarterback is? KC, 10, Broncos. Is this the consistent overvaluing of the Chiefs down the stretch here? Uh, I think so, right? We saw so we saw it with Cincinnati. Uh, I was on the Bengals yesterday, and it looked bleak for a minute. Uh, but Cincinnati offensively, which is a whole other story, looks absolutely dominant, and that connection between Chase and Burrow looks incredible. But you saw still, right? Because the Chiefs, if you looked over that winning streak that they had, while well, they had been performing very well, their two best wins were the Cowboys, who we just talked about their offensive struggles, and the Chargers, a team that they had to take to overtime, right? And they eventually win that with the touchdown late. But when you look at what the Chiefs have been doing, they've been improving defensively statistically, but the offensive challenges haven't really been there. And then all of a sudden, you take on a legitimate offense in the Cincinnati Bengals, and they look just like the Kansas City Chiefs, who couldn't stop a nosebleed at the beginning of the year. So it's always important, I think, to realize you know competition and who these teams are facing. But this is a great example because I think it's two things coming together for one. One, it's still the Chiefs being overvalued by the market because they've been playing well. The other is Chiefs can win, Titans can lose, and they can get the number one overall seed. 
guys, the look ahead here for Kansas City in this one, this is another massive move. The look ahead last week for Kansas City taking on the Denver Broncos was less than five points. I think I had it at uh, the look ahead three with a total wow. of 43 and a half. Now we're talking about nine and a half because what? What changed with the Denver Broncos other than they got blown out by the Chargers and the Chiefs have something to play for here. So, again, talking about not overvaluing these situations, this is another one of them. JVT, uh, uh, not too long ago, Alabama smacked Georgia around. Yeah. Now we have the college football semifinals. Georgia handles Michigan, Alabama with, I guess, what some people may say a less than impressive because they didn't blow them out even worse. And now we have a national championship in Georgia's favored. What do you make of that? Yep. No. Well, and they, they, they rightfully should be. You know, the power rating, if you looked at when they took on each other in the SEC championship game, right, Georgia was about a touchdown favorite, and they did lose that game. But you can talk to any odds maker and, and any better as well. You don't want to come off of your priors and your power ratings off of one result. Now, you adjust, but you don't want to come off of them. So just because Alabama won that with relative comfort against Georgia, you're not going to all of a sudden make Alabama a favorite. So you're going to get this adjustment. But it's a big adjustment, right? You go from a touchdown to under initially a field goal. Well, market still moves in favor of Georgia. Georgia, so now you're talking about threes across the board. But but I'm interested in Willie in your point, which is, you know, not only did Alabama, I don't want to call it less than impressive, but that was a what a 17 to 6 game going into the fourth quarter, and they had a touchdown drive going into the fourth quarter and eventually scored early on. That was a pretty close game going into the fourth quarter. And that offense didn't look as smooth in the second half. And we can tie that in because there was a change. John Mechie's not with this wide receiving core anymore. So there is a tangible change with this offense that all of a sudden didn't look as smooth against the Cincinnati Bearcats. But I also think there's an argument to be made. Are you going to get that performance from Stetson Bennett again? Right? Because I don't know if you are going to yet. Well, one more time, like he was picking apart Georgia or excuse me, Michigan. And the other is the coaching mismatch here. Go back a few years ago. One of my favorite moments ever, guys, was when Justin Fields was still with the Georgia Bulldogs. And all of a sudden, the SEC championship game, you see, oh, hey, wait a minute. There's a blue chip prospect out on a punt team. Wonder what's going to happen here. And they go for a fake field goal and they don't get it. There's a real coaching mismatch, I think, in favor of Nick Saban here. And I think all of these put together, there's still some value in taking three with Alabama, in my opinion. Early thoughts on uh, looking ahead to Sunday Night Football. Raiders getting three at home. You know, I, so my initial thought was the Raiders catch a three, Steve. You know, I, I don't, I still don't like this Chargers team. You know, if you look at them schematically, Brandon Staley's thing is inviting the run is what the phrase has been used. And there's inviting the run and then there's not being able to stop it. And they're bottom and bottom 20s in terms of a lot of run defensive metrics. And we know the Raiders uh, want to do that and they can do that. I do worry about the, what I would assume is the loss of Nate Hobbs for this game because of his uh, idiotic move uh, of what happened early this morning. And what that does for the team, what that does for the secondary is getting a starter that's not going to be out there. But I think still catching three points with this Raiders team when they're playing at home in a pretty good primetime spot against what I believe to be an overvalued Chargers team is still going to be the side for me. Are you mad at Vegas for Nate Hobbs succumbing to just how evil Vegas is? No, look, and I'm preaching to the choir, I would believe, because this is local Vegas radio. Uh, yes. But the the narrative that emerges when these things happen, it happened with um, rugs. It happens now again, where this is why the NFL didn't want a team out there that is absolutely ridiculous. It's asinine. And if you want to make the argument, I, I just there's no there's no talking to somebody like that because they are too stupid to reason with. If you believe that this is the only town in which you can find trouble in, you are I, I don't even know what to tell you here, especially when we have so many stories of these NFL players having these issues in every single city before the NFL got here. And by the way, there's been a, a uh, top tier professional team here, the Vegas Golden Knights, and they haven't had issues like this. So uh, it just it irritates me. I know it probably irritates you guys, too. It's just bottom of the bottom of the barrel, low hanging fruit that people don't think about. Peter King, of had it in his write-up last time with rugs, and I'm sure he's going to touch on it again. It's just a ridiculous narrative that has nothing behind it. 
John, we appreciate it. Follow John on Twitter at me, JVT. Uh, tell people what is out there pretty much every day for the NBA. Uh, yeah, I do write-ups. I have a daily column. Uh, it's a market report. vcin.com slash JVT is where you can go. Easy little URL, and you can hit it up. Uh, picks in there every single every single day, and it's uh, off to a good start this season. Thanks, John. John's being good humble. Talk to you a, a crazy start. Willie, last 15 seconds here. You were uh, frantically waving about John's comments about Vegas and Hobbs. Yeah, because uh, he said, you know, anybody that's saying that is ridiculous. And, of course, Rich Passaccia today, I can say we've been hit over the face with distractions. We're very cognizant of the city we live in. So he now falls in that category. Monday Night Football, go see Q Myers over at Oyo. $2 beers, $10 buckets, 10 bucks on the wings. You know, the wings have gone through the freaking roof. They got the Hooters wings there. So get over to Oyo tonight to watch Monday Night Football Steelers and Browns.